out there and welcome to Health from Mars. It's out of this world. This is my very first podcast, hopefully of many, and I just felt really compelled to do this. My background, I was a professor of nutrition for over 25 years at various medical schools, and I have a passion for teaching. And because I'm so old, I just have a lot of information that I think needs to get out there into the public. So this very first podcast, I felt compelled to basically talk about nukes. And the reason is because of Robert Oppenheimer. His movie documentary just came out about a week ago. I went to see it, only fell asleep, I think, once during the movie, three hours and 10 minutes. So if you're going to see that movie, I urge you to make sure that you do a little homework beforehand to study the characters. I get a little OCD when it comes to studying nuclear and its effects on humans and its effects on health because that's what I do. I'm a naturopathic physician. And so this movie about Oppenheimer talks about the process by which we made our first nuke. There's a lot of politics involved, so you got to really... You got to dig deep and and learn all the nuances of what was going on during that period of time with communists and different political parties, etc. Leslie Groves was the guy that gave Oppenheimer all the money and resources to do whatever he wanted. So they got physicists from all over the world, Nobel laureates that were going to help out in this project. And Oppenheimer selected the location of the site, later named the Trinity Site. And this was in the middle of the desert outside Albuquerque and Los Alamos and Alamogordos. And he chose this because he used to have a summer home that he would go there and he loved the desert. And it was a good site because there was not a lot of people around. So something that you, if you're going to blow this massive explosion off. So the race to get the active material, there was a race. Hanford was producing plutonium and Tennessee uh, Oak Ridge was producing uranium-235. And so whoever got the most mass, and they show this in the movie, would win the prize for which bomb they would do, called the gadget. So basically, plutonium won. And if you go to Albuquerque, the museum is now in Albuquerque. It used to be on White Sands Missile Silo Base, but they moved it off there because they thought there was a security you know, breach possibly. And so if you go in the museum, they have a replica of the original Plymouth where they drove this eight pounds of plutonium to Los Alamos. Los Alamos didn't really exist before this time. So they actually created this town. And so when they were getting ready to detonate this thing, they wanted to make sure that it wasn't going to be a dud and that the plutonium didn't get scattered through the desert without doing its nuclear explosion, its reaction. So they built this thing called Dumbo. And Dumbo was a 480,000 pound, 17 inches of iron that they were going to put the gadget, is, as it was called, inside. And this gadget uh, was going to explode. And basically, if it didn't work, if it was a dud, Dumbo was going to keep the plutonium in that small little area where Dumbo was. So they had to build a special and was trained to ship this thing that was almost a half a million pounds 
to Los Alamos, and then they had a special truck that GM built that had 64 wheels, and they drove it to the site, the Trinity site. And so at 5.30 in the morning on July 16th, 1945, there was a big storm. They almost canceled the thing, but like, we're going to go ahead and do this thing. And so what was absolutely amazing was that there was a theoretical possibility that they could ignite the Earth's atmosphere on fire with this nuclear chain reaction. And they even took bets. And it was kind of weird. And they went ahead and did the thing anyway, even with that slight possibility, because it was near zero. And they felt like, well, that's, you know, that's close enough to zero. We'll call it good, which is kind of crazy. So on that, you know, fateful day, July 16th, 1945, was the first successful nuclear explosion. So after that, they decided that it was necessary. And this is where all the politics comes in because, you know, they they used the guise of, well, Japan wasn't going to surrender and we needed to really make sure that they understood that basically they needed to surrender immediately or we're going to blow up their entire country. So during this time, uh, and it's coming up in three days, Sunday is August 6th, 1945. And that is when the first nuclear bomb was dropped on live people. They selected Hiroshima because it was untouched. So as sick as it was, they wanted to drop this nuclear explosion on an area that was pristine and see what happens to the city when you drop such a bomb on them. And it was just awful because 70,000 people uh, were incinerated in the first nine seconds. And then in the next week or two, another 60,000 people died. And so now we have a situation where, okay, we dropped it on one city. Well, let's do it again on Nagasaki three days later on August 9th. Again, that's why I'm doing this podcast Um, Because, you know, basically we want to bring attention to this uh, awful phenomenon that happened back then. So I want to talk a little bit about nuclear exposure, uh, just again to give you a perspective. So right now in the United States, we are exposed to 6.2 millisieverts every year. So that's on an average. Different countries actually will have different levels of those millisieverts. So, but 6.2 is kind of where we're at. We're, we're a little bit higher than a lot of other countries. And so a millisievert is a unit of measurement that basically has an effect on our biology. So you don't want to be exposed to very many millisieverts. If you live at altitude, 10, 15,000 feet, and some people do, um, your exposure is significant. You have another 10 to 20% higher exposure of millisieverts. Give you an example, a cross-country trip from Portland to New York uh, and back, you're going to get exposed to about a tenth of a millisievert approximately. So, and, you know, a mammography is about the same, two-tenths of a millisievert. So it's kind of ironic that we expose women to ionizing radiation so we can prevent them from getting cancer. Hello! I can guarantee you in 20, 30 years from now, they're going to look back and think like, well, were were we like morons, you know? So just want to put that out there. 
uh, a CAT scan, full body CAT scan, 10 millisieverts. That's almost double your exposure for the entire year. So nuclear workers are not allowed to be exposed to more than 20 millisieverts in a year, or they have to basically quit their job at the nuclear facility. And over the course of their lifespan, they cannot be exposed to more than 50 millisieverts. Just to give you a little perspective on, on this. Okay, so now that we scared the you know, heebie-jeebies out of you, I want to talk a little bit about things that you can do to be proactive in protecting your body against ionizing radiation. Again, as I mentioned, 6.2 millisieverts a year. Uh, if you're flying a lot, uh, your exposure is, is pretty significant. Um, if you're smoking cigarettes, um, if you smoke a couple of packs of cigarettes a day, over the course of a year, we're talking 60 millisieverts. That's an enormous amount. And that's because the tobacco leaves actually bioconcentrate nuclear fallout radiation that's been happening for many years. Uh, I can't remember if I mentioned, but in the atmosphere, they've detonated over 530 nukes. So from 1945 to 1963. And so they decided like, that's a really bad idea because the radiation goes like everywhere. You know, I, I live in Portland, Oregon. When that little mountain, uh, Mount St. Helens went off, the ash went around the globe like three times. And that explosion from Mount St. Helens was just a tiny, tiny fraction compared to nukes. So it's like, do the math. That stuff goes everywhere. All right. So what I, I recommend, and I've, actually created, uh, I have a, a vitamin company that I created back in 1985 where I decided it's important for people to get really high quality supplements that have been researched and studied so that the right ingredients uh, can go in there. So back in about 1987-88, I created a multi-antioxidant formula, which I'm going to hold up over here. It's called OxyQuench something I've been taking now for since 1988. And I just wanted to talk about some of the ingredients in this product because they're ingredients that protect us against cardiovascular disease, cancer, diabetes, allergies, autoimmune disease. So some of them are really basic, like vitamin C, for example. Everyone should be taking a certain amount of vitamin C. We won't get into details right now, but Linus Pauling was an advocate of taking six to 10 grams of vitamin C a day. Most Americans get less than 100 milligrams a day, so it's not very much. Uh, so selenium, which is an important mineral that's deficient in our soil, is something that the body uses to make something called glutathione, which is concentrated in your liver. So if you're deficient in selenium, your ability to make glutathione and to, to detoxify various toxicants and toxins becomes severely limited. So we want people to get optimal levels of selenium for sure because we know that it's depleted in people's diets because it's depleted in the soil. Um, another extremely important ingredient is carotenoids. So carotenoids are yellow pigments that are found in foods. 
and it's been found that these carotenoids, and it's a precursor to vitamin A, but in its in in itself has various protective um, uh, protective properties that will protect you about getting cancer. In fact, when I I see uh, patients that are traveling down to tropical climates in the middle of the winter, I tell them to hyper put in carotenoids through carrot juice. Is really one cup of carrot juice has about a hundred and twenty thousand international units of carotenoids, which is great. That's what you want. So now the average supplement is going to usually put beta carotene from Hoffman and LaRoche which we strongly recommend against. So we use an algae called Dunaliella salina, which is, grows off the coast of New Zealand, and it's used a lot in Japan as food coloring. But what's better to use it is to color your skin from the inside out when you're going on a trip to the tropics and you know your exposure to ionizing radiation from the sun is going to be much greater. Um, in addition... There is a compound called tocotrienol. Tocotrienol is a form of vitamin E that people get very little of. There's three main sources. There's rice brand. There's palm, which is, from an environmental standpoint, it's really bad. And then there's anato. So you might have seen an ingredient in foods, um, yellow dye from anato. Anato is a food colorant. But anato is very concentrated in delta tocotrienol. Delta tocotrienol, there's been a, ma a massive amount of research done in the last 10, 20 years showing that's protective against cancer, it's protective against osteoporosis, it's protective against the you know damaging effects that diet has on your insulin receptors that causes diabetes. It's protective against autoimmune disease. So there's all these studies that have come out. The average American gets about one to two milligrams of tocotrienol in their diet per day, which is woefully low. Um, in, in addition, there are other uh, sulfur-containing amino acids like methionine and N-acetylcysteine that are important for your immune system <clears throat> because they're also involved in making glutathione peroxidase, which I mentioned <clears throat> as related to selenium. Uh, <clears throat> from a dietary perspective, the reason why you want to eat an extremely plant-rich diet and even concentrated juices is because they are high in polyphenols. Polyphenols is a general description of a number of different compounds that include lignans, they include um, <clears throat> still beans, and they include flavonoids. So flavonoids is, is really the big one. Flavonoids include things like quercetin, which is a yellow pigment found in foods, usually concentrated in the skins of various fruits. Um, <clears throat> in addition, uh, you hear about red wine, well, red wine, the skins of red wine uh, basically are quite high in quercetin and also high in resveratrol, another type of flavonoid that's protective against cancer. Uh, resveratrol, if you read books on longevity, uh, there's a uh, physician who wrote a book called Lifespan. If you read Lifespan, one of the ingredients in there 
uh, for longevity is resveratrol. So for your eyes, many people develop problems with uh, damage to their macula. So the macula dense is where you see the most color and where your visual acuity is. And you hear the word macular degeneration. Well, macular degeneration can be you know, mitigated if you use anthocyanidines. Those are purple compounds that are found in certain foods. So maki berry is a berry that comes from uh, South America, comes from Chile, and it has the highest ORAC value of any berry ever discovered. ORAC value is oxygen reactive absorption capacity. It's a measurement of protection that that compound has against oxidation. Oxidation related to nuclear fallout is what damages your DNA. So you want things that are very high, have a high ORAC value. Salal berries, last weekend I went picking salal berries at the Oregon coast. You know, no one really knows about them, but salal berries have a very high ORAC value. So the more of these berries, blackberries, really high, certain types of strawberries have high levels of something called elagic um, acid. Elagic acid is another phytochemical in food that protects you against ionizing radiation. So you hear about iodine, and iodine maybe can protect us against ionizing radiation to a certain extent. Uh, but the big thing, selenium. One food extremely high in selenium are Brazil nuts. They're known to be really, really high in selenium. So something that we recommend to patients, especially if they're going to be exposed to ionizing radiation, like if they're going to go on a long trip on a plane, good idea to take OxyQuench and just have some foods that are concentrated in these phytochemicals or polyphenols. So, um, so I hope today that I've inspired you that you can do something to prevent the effects of ionizing radiation. One, you know, to be active against uh, nukes, and two, to eat a diet, a whole foods, plant-based diet that will protect you against the damaging effects of ionizing radiation. So I'm really happy that you joined my podcast here, and I want you to at least be uh, excited or inspired. I will be doing more podcasts about various other topics, so please join me, and I'll have I'm sure special guests on my show as well. So thanks for joining me in the first podcast ever from uh, Health from Mars. It's out of this world. Take care.